You're listening to episode 165 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the six phases of marathon training. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 165 i'm your host letty and i'm ryan and you're listening to the marathon running podcast a podcast on all things running running nutrition training inspiration and so on as always, we're very grateful for everyone that listens. Hopefully, we provide some value or entertainment for your day and give you some good information that makes running more fun. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for taking us on your long runs with you. That was a mouthful. Um, we're grateful that you have chosen to listen to this podcast. And as Ryan said, hopefully, the information that you'll listen to today will provide you with what you need to make your running even better. So who do we got today? You talked about what we're talking about, but it's actually, you're talking about a book, right? Yes. Well, I'm actually talking about something someone wrote. That's a book. Yes. <laughs> Not always, but in this case, it's a book, right? Yes. Okay. So today we are actually talking about a part of the book by Chris Knighton, who is the head coach of Knighton Runs Marathon Coaching. He has written a book called Run Faster Marathons, The Proven Path to PRs. And one of the segments in his book, one of the chapters goes into the details of the six phases of marathon training. So he's a repeat guest to our podcast. And hopefully some of the listeners have maybe bought his book and read it. Yes, at this point, however, we are still linking his book and his social media on our show notes. So if you want to know more and inquire, maybe talk to him, that's where you'll find that in our show notes. If you like what you hear, there's more. Exactly, exactly. So we're diving into these topics pretty deeply, I would say, but of course, there's always more information to be provided. It's a great read and he has a great way of organizing his information concisely. So out of all, you know, the book's obviously much larger than what we're going over today, but like what made you choose um, the topics today? That's a really good question. And the answer to this is because we are in July right now and fall marathons start generally towards the end of September and then October and then even some in November. So we are 12 weeks out from the Chicago Marathon, which is October 8th. We are... 11 weeks out from the uh, Berlin Marathon and all those marathons that people sign up for. So it makes sense to jump into that because a regular marathon running cycle is about 16 to 20 weeks. And I wish we would have had this interview sooner, but I was abroad. But also taken into consideration that a lot of the marathon training plans that are a little bit longer include a month and a half or sometimes even more of base training. I think this is still coming in timely to where it can be helpful for everyone who is on the path to a fall marathon. Suboptimal timing, but still okay. No, I think it's still great because, and okay. also, you know, this is probably, even if it is your first marathon, it's not going to be your last marathon because a lot of marathon runners, as you might have experienced yourself, having run the Stockholm Marathon, get hooked <laughs> on it and want to run more marathons in the future. And you, I think you brought up a good point that a lot of these uh, marathon training programs kind of start off generalized and, 
and it's not necessarily uh, difficult to just add in or change or even do something different through uh, later on parts of the training. As long as you've just been running at the beginning, um, it's going to be beneficial too. Yeah, exactly. And then you can learn and implement stuff. Or even if you have a separate coach, you can understand why your training cycle is built the way it is. If it's like Chris's training cycle, it includes a lot of these separate elements. And then you can understand why it's important for your body to do certain things and not just follow a random plan without asking why. I feel like asking why is a really important question for anything we do in life. Yeah, you know, I'm totally that way, as you've known living with me, is I always need to know why. Like, if something makes sense to me, I'm fine with it. But if I, if it, you know, if it any, if I have any question along the way, you, you have to explain it to me. Yes. Like, why are you going <laughs> running, Luddy? Why are you at home? Why is dinner not made? Yeah, right. <laughs> Those are like the last questions. <laughs> if anyone actually knew us, now everyone's going to think that I'm like this person that, that wants like dinner at home. So anyway, I'm the one that usually cooks <laughs> in this house, but you do do dishes and I'm grateful for that because I don't really like doing dishes. But there's no, there's no point in our life where I was expecting dinner when I came home because if I had done that, then I probably wouldn't even be married. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. <laughs> exactly. So how Anyway, so do you want to hop into this interview? Without further ado, we're now going to play our conversation with Chris Knighton. And all right, I'm back on here with Chris Knighton from Knighton Runs. Thank you, Chris, so much for joining me again. Hey, Wendy, I'm happy to be back. It's always a pleasure. Yes, for us too, our listeners are... Very happy with the series of, uh, you know, run coaching advice that we're getting for you. So we're super grateful for that. And today we wanted to hop into the six phases of marathon training. So maybe briefly just tell us why there is six phases before hopping into, into any of them. Just give us a little brief overview how you came up with that. Sure. So this is my original concept based on what you may have heard referred to as the, in the past as periodization. And that's kind of a, a scary, complicated sounding word, but what it really boils down to is you want to have different focuses on what you're trying to train or what, what you're trying to do at different periods of time throughout your running. You don't always want to be doing the same thing. You don't always want to be trying to train every attribute of your fitness simultaneously. It's helpful to take a phased-based approach over the course of a marathon training cycle. The phases are sequential, and for, for those listening, the, the six phases are first is base building, second is speed development, third is marathon-specific training phase, uh, fourth is tapering, five is your actual race day performance, and then six is post-race recovery period. So these are sequential. Um, some of the things overlap. So they layer on top of each other. So the easy running that you've been doing in base building, that's going to continue in the speed development phase, but you're going to bring in the addition of one or two significantly faster workouts per week. And, and as we do that, you have a clear purpose, you have a clear understanding of what you're doing at each stage and a clear focus, which brings a lot of confidence with it. Because by the time you've got to your marathon, you know you've done everything you can do to get you most prepared for your race. 
Okay, perfect. So this kind kind of comes in a perfect timing because it is July 14th as we're recording that we are about 12 weeks away from the Chicago Marathon, but then we also have Berlin and other marathons around that time, all these upcoming fall marathons. So ideally, how many weeks should your marathon cycle be? And if we don't have enough time, would we still be able to implement something like this? Yeah, so... I generally think of a complete marathon training cycle in terms of about 16 to 20 weeks. It's possible to sign up for a marathon, say three months from today, and shorten this to as many as about 12 weeks. But to give yourself enough time, you really want to take about six to 20 weeks. So we're talking four or five months. Okay, perfect. And so I guess you're going to tell me now that we're going to hop into these phases that the base building phase, how many weeks should that be? And maybe if we're already doing that, that would be the one that we would shorten if we are looking at a full marathon. Yeah, this is right. So when people, when people come to me for marathon training, I include the base building period in that 16 to 20 weeks period. Um, but if you're someone who has been you know, running consistently for a while, and then you decide you want to do a marathon in kind of short term, if you've been consistently running, sometimes you can kind of skip over the base building period. But that's generally not something that I want to encourage when you're thinking about doing a marathon, I really encourage folks to pick one or two in a year that they're going to focus on. And I think that if your intent is to run your your fastest marathon, perform your best, you really want to pick one that's in the the cooler months of the spring. So this would be like April is ideal, or the cooler months in the fall, which are going to be October or November. And so right now it's July. Um, most folks who are training for an October race are already maybe a month or so into their training. But folks training for a later race like November, I, I have a few athletes doing Philadelphia, for example, they're just getting started with this now because we're still five months away. Uh, you asked about how long a base building period should be, and you know I would give yourself at least a month for that. Uh, typically, in my in my eighteen week programs, I give people about five or six weeks. So, say you have eighteen weeks of training, the first five or six of those are going to be base building. Then you're going to have about twelve weeks of workouts speed workouts, more specific, faster workouts before you then taper for your race. Okay, perfect. So let's hop into the space building. Um, what is it for? How many miles do we run? And what are some physical transformations or benefits that you can see in that? Sure. So base building is often ref also alternatively referred to as foundational training. Really, it's preparing to train for a race. Running is a physically demanding sport. It's it's pretty hard on our bodies. You know, a very high number of athletes end up getting hurt through running training, often I think because they neglect doing a base building period before they get into much more challenging types of workouts. So a base building period is going to prepare you to do the longer runs and the faster runs 
the harder work that's going to come later in training. This is why I like to give people four, five, six weeks of just really easy, comfortable running before they get into any hard workouts. And this doesn't matter if you're an experienced runner who's been running for a decade or a brand new runner. You always want to go through a base building period of, let's say, four to six weeks of easy running before you then transition into a prolonged period of harder workouts. There's a ton of benefits to going through a base building period. First of all, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow you to just get into good habits and good routines. Maybe you haven't run in a few weeks or, or longer. And then you're picking up running again at the beginning of a marathon training cycle. It's good for your first few weeks to be kind of easy so you can get back into the habits of regular running. You know, maybe it's getting up early or, or running right after work, um, figuring out how to fit in your additional strength work or mobility work, that kind of thing, without the added complexity of, of more elaborate workouts. You're also physically preparing your body for the harder work to come. So most of the benefits of running actually do come from running at pretty easy, comfortable paces. You can probably get at least 75% of your potential out of just running at a comfortable pace. Hard workouts and hard long runs get you maybe that extra 25% to reach your full potential, but the vast majority of running fitness, physical fitness, strength in your muscles and bones and ligaments and all that uh, that type of you know structural frame building that's going to prepare you for the harder workouts and for fast racing. This just comes from running at an easy pace. So these are all reasons why you you want to gradually ease into running. You can use this period to gradually increase your mileage as well before you get into harder work. But ultimately, it's just setting you up for what will be more challenging. 12 or so weeks as you move into harder and more specific workouts for the race you're training for. Okay, perfect. So I love this. And you said it was about four weeks. And so then we go into the speed development, which is your phase number two. What is speed development and why do we need to focus on it? Yep. So if you're training for a marathon, I really think it's helpful to Get as fast as you can be before you start doing specific marathon training. What I mean by that is for most folks, the endurance component of the marathon is the biggest challenge. You know, running 26 miles at a, at a quicker pace, that's the biggest challenge for most folks. It's, it's, it's not necessarily just how fast you are. It's can you go that distance without slowing down, without your body breaking down or rebelling? So I always like to have folks, after they've gone through a base building period, spend a little bit of time just working on their speed, getting as fast as they can. And this is in a stage of training. This is kind of in the, the early to middle stages of training for marathons still where the long runs aren't quite as long, your mileage isn't quite as high, and you can just focus on good quality, shorter workouts that are designed to make you as fast as you can be, um, as efficient as you can be with your running form. And they're going to prepare you for the marathon specific training phase, which is going to come next 
which is going to be slower paces, paces that are more specific to the marathon distance, longer workouts. Um, but by the time you get to that next phase, hopefully you're a little bit faster than you would have been had you not gone through the, sp- the speed phase, uh, which is you know ultimately going to help you set hopefully a faster you know marathon goal pace and a pace to kind of peg your marathon training around. Okay, perfect. So now that we have this four to six weeks of speech development, maybe you can give us some examples or uh, tell us how those are done. Yeah. So there's different ways you can approach this kind of depending on your, your preferences and the facilities and training areas that you might have available to you. So the key here is you want to include one workout per week that's going to have paces in kind of the 5k to 10k pace range. Different ways you can approach this. Uh, some of them are outlined in my book, um, but ideas would be speed-based track workouts where you go to the track and you're running intervals like 400 meters, 800, 1200, uh, potentially up to a mile length repeat for faster runners at 5k to 10k pace. And then you would take maybe an easy lap recovery between each one. For the listeners who are familiar with VO2 max style workouts, this is classic VO2 max style workout. It's short, fast intervals, maybe one minute to five minutes in length and you know, pretty, pretty good recovery um, up to that same amount of time that, that you are running fast. If you're not going to be doing track workouts, a good alternative to this is running a fartlek workout. Fartleks are one of my favorite style of workout. It's essentially a way of taking intervals off the track and doing them in a less structured manner. They're a great way to help learn to run by feel rather than strictly going off of paces on your watch or on a track. An example of fartlek runs would be something like going out and doing... Um, a 20 minute run where you alternate between running fast for a minute, running slow for a minute, or running fast for two minutes and slow for, for one minute. Um, you could do three minutes fast, two minutes slow. There's all sorts of different uh, varieties with this, but in your fast minutes of the fartwick, you'd want to be running about 5k to 10k pace. And then in the recovery, you're, you're running at a slower jog to easy pace. And one of the great things about fartwick training is if you're doing it on, you know, a course outside, maybe you're running through where you live, you might be going uphill sometimes on the fast segments, you might be going downhill, you might be going through all sorts of different terrain, uh, can put a lot of variety into your training in a way that maybe just running on a track does not. So I'm a big fan of those. Um, another way you can do it is, you know, similar to a fartlek, but a bit more structured maybe this is, this would actually just be like repeats, but off the track. So you could go maybe to a local bike path or a a safe running route that you have and do things like quarter mile repeats measured out on your watch or measured, you know, online. And you know, the distance quarter mile repeats with a quarter mile recovery, half mile repeats with a quarter mile recovery, you know, maybe a mile repeats with a quarter mile recovery, that kind of thing. Um, but at that 5k to 10k pace. And if you okay. do that for four to six weeks, you're going to feel a lot faster and, and, you know, physically prepared to then slow down your paces 
but go longer as you get closer to the marathon with more marathon specific workouts. Okay, perfect. So once a week, 5k pace. And obviously as we start, since we hadn't done any of them, you start with the minute, like the, the lower timed ones or distance ones, and then increase it as we move on towards the next phase. Yep. Perfect. So next phase, phase three that we have here is the race-specific quality. What is race-specific running and why should we focus on that? So race-specific quality, marathon-specific training. This is the the most important part of getting ready for the marathon. This is going to be the majority of your marathon training is this. So let's say you spent four or so weeks, maybe a month or so in base building, then maybe another month or so doing speed development. Then you're going to spend like two months doing race specific training. So what this is, is workouts that are very specific to the demands of the marathon. So this is where your longest long runs are going to come. You know, if you're getting up to 16 or 18, 20 or 22 or longer long runs, you're going to be doing them in this period. In terms of the speeds that you're going to be running during your workouts, you should primarily be running paces that are close to marathon pace. So the three, the three different speeds that I like to give my runners in this phase are marathon pace work. That's kind of the, the main focus. Most of my athletes get a big confidence boost from doing marathon pace training. So we'll we'll start to include that in some of their long runs. I like to alternate each week between giving an athlete an easy paced long run and a marathon paced long run. And maybe they'll do three or four marathon paced long runs during their their total training and during this specific period. What that would look like is maybe a 14 mile run with the middle 10 miles at marathon pace. That's a great simulation for what it's going to be like to run your marathon. Then maybe a few weeks later, you increase that and do a 16 mile run with the middle 12 at marathon pace. And then you might even get up to doing 14 to 16 miles at marathon pace and maybe as long as an 18 or a 20 mile long run. For most of the athletes I've worked with, they think those are the most powerful workouts they do, and they get a lot of confidence from those. I think it's also really helpful to do training faster than marathon pace throughout this phase because you don't want your marathon pace to feel fast. It really shouldn't. It needs to feel pretty comfortable. I mean, you got to do it for hours on end for 26 miles, so you need to continue to do faster work but you can slow down your paces a little bit. So rather than doing what you were doing in the speed phase where you're doing you know one to five minutes of 5K to 10K pace, we're going to slow that down to half marathon or, or tempo pace, which, which may be like 10 to 15 seconds faster per mile than what your marathon pace would be. And here, rather than doing things like quarter mile, half mile, maybe up to a mile repeats, you're going to start to do longer things. So mile repeats, two miles, maybe even three mile repeats at that kind of half marathon or or slightly faster than marathon pace um, intensity. And that's going to be your speed training for the 
final two months or so of, of marathon training when you're in this phase. That's a lot more of a specific endurance building workout, which you need for the marathon um, than shorter, faster VO2 max style workouts. And that's why I like to make that the, the main focus for the majority of training, especially as you get closer and closer to your marathon. Um, the last thing during this phase is it's really important to continue to do running slower than marathon pace as well. Um, easy runs at this period during your training really transition to being recovery runs. The runs between your workouts and your long runs, you got to go really, really slow to recover between them. Your body's going to be pretty fatigued from the, the long run, which is your, your biggest workout of the week, and maybe your speed workout or two midweek. So the runs between that need to really just be slow. We're really just covering the mileage at this point um, and getting you ready for that next hard workout or race. And then some of your long runs too, you know, should be slower than marathon pace. Marathon pace can be really hard to hold in training, especially for faster athletes. Um, and especially, you know, this time of year when you're training in the summer, it can be really, really hard for some athletes to hold marathon pace and you don't necessarily need to, uh, you know, work out long, a long run that's say 14 to 20 miles where you're like 30 seconds slower than your marathon pace. That's a fantastic workout. Um, and some of the faster marathoners out there, that might really be all they can manage um, when it comes to long runs because they're so tired from all the training they've been doing over the course of the week. That's cool. So so just to kind of sum it up a little bit. So when athletes train with you, there's about three workouts that they get during the week. The rest of the runs is easy runs. One of them is your... Uh, pace specific marathon run on the weekend, um, which you mentioned. But my question is, you also mentioned that you alternate those with long runs that are easy. We alternate between it just being comfortable pace and it being a faster, more intentional pace. So this weekend, for example, I might say to um, my athlete, Melissa, hey, Melissa, go out and run 16 miles, comfortable pace, I don't care how fast you go, just cover the distance. That could be a good opportunity to run over a hilly course or go explore a new route. And then next weekend, Melissa, you're going to go, you're going to do 16 miles again, but you're going to do the middle 12 of those at your goal marathon pace or, you know, as slow as 30 seconds per mile, slower than that, something in that range. And that's going to be an opportunity for you to run on a course that is, simulating where you're going to where you're going to do your marathon. So if you're training for a flat marathon, you do a flat long run, you practice running your goal pace, you, maybe you wear the gear, bring the fuel that you want to take, and try to simulate as many aspects of it as possible. And then the, the following week, the third week, you you'd go back to a slower, easy, comfortable pace long run, and that cycle typically will continue over the course of 2 months or so as you approach your marathon. Okay, perfect. And then my second follow-up question with that, and I see that with basically all coaches, I just want to have it be explained to our listeners. Why, when we do marathon pace runs, do we cap out with that specific pace being at no longer than 16 miles? Why don't we make ourselves run longer than 16 miles at the marathon pace? So th this is sort of a, a nuanced answer. And, it, and you know, 
there's not necessarily a maximum distance that that someone should go or should not go. Um, largely, how how long you should train in your long run is going to depend on your your personal ability, your speed, your experience, and what your body can handle. So I've had athletes train for the marathon, do really well, run PRs. I've had people BQ, and they've maybe never run longer than 16 miles. I think that you know you can run a great marathon maxing out at 16 miles. And for people who maybe they haven't trained for a marathon in a while, um, maybe they're not going to run a huge amount of mileage. Like they may only get up to 30 or 40 miles per week. That's a great compromise between between distance and um, you know it's enough where it's going to get the job done, but it's not too much where it's going to kill them in training. You don't want to train so hard in training that then you can't actually perform to your best on race day. And I think a lot of people think they need to do these super long runs when really they're just overvaluing the long run. And uh, it's really your, the total package of everything you've done over training that's going to let you kind of summon up a huge amount of energy on race day and, and to your best. Um, but that said, you know, for more experienced runners, I do like to get them up to at least 18 miles. Most people feel a lot of confidence when they do a 20 miler, um, you know, whether that's helpful physically or not. I, I think it is for most folks, but confidence from a confidence perspective, most people do want to do it. Um, you know, but I like to, I do like to get people up to like 50 miles per week if they're going to train for a marathon. Um, and, and really perform their best. And if they can do 50 miles per week, I think they can do a 20 mile long run. If they're doing more than 50 miles per week, they can do many 20 mile or longer long runs. And that's good. You know, um, you don't want to, the long run is the most important part of marathon training and the distance training for the distance is super important. Uh, but it's really just for, for newer runners, maybe first time marathoners or people who are still building up who are, who are, training for the marathon and trying to trying to get by with you know kind of minimal training where i would consider doing like a 16 or mile long run or shorter um hope that answers the question it does yeah absolutely thank you so much for explaining this and then um, let's talk about your phase number four the tapering for peak performance first of all for the listeners that don't know, what is taper? Why is it important? And what does a taper look like? So basically, the last two weeks before your marathon, you're going to reduce the amount of running you're doing by about half. So it takes like 10 days to two weeks to benefit from any workout. So you're going to want to do your final workout. I usually say about 10 days before your marathon. Then in that final week and a half to two weeks, really you cut all your mileage in half. You maintain the same frequency. You go out and run, you know, the same number of days. You run the same speeds, but you just do half. So you cut the time in half. You you go half the distance. If you normally run six miles a day, you cut that to three. And this allows your body to rest from all the training that you've done over the past three to five months, and it lets your full fitness come out. One of the biggest principles with how marathon training works is a principle known as cumulative fatigue, where you enter every run tired from the runs you've done earlier in the week. And this is one of the big reasons 
why you can you can do a marathon off of only like a 16 or an 18 or a 20 mile long run. It's because when you start that long run, you're already tired. To your body, it feels like you're maybe already 10 miles into a run. So then if you just go do like a 16 miler, that's like the last 16 of a marathon. But you don't want to be tired when you show up to marathon race day. You want to feel 100%. You want to feel 110% if you can. So that's why you really cut down the intensity of what you're doing. Do it for 10 to 14 days. This isn't enough time to lose any fitness, but it is enough time to let your full energy level and full fitness emerge for one big performance on race day. And the taper is essential because... It, it's going to allow you to be your best. And this is a big reason why I always tell folks they really need to just pick one or two marathons per year to focus on because you have to go through this whole sequence and then taper down for a race to let your full fitness to emerge to really have you know an amazing performance. People who say do like six marathons a year you're never able to reach that level of fitness because you don't go through this period and, and of, of base building, speed development, specific training, and then taper. It's just it's just too much racing to to train properly if your goal is to you know be your best on that one specific day. Perfect. I love how you explained that, and I love um, how you explained specifically of why 16 miles might be enough because it's exactly that. We are training really hard. We're tired from all the weeks worth of mileage and then we go into our long run having that much under our belt so that makes a lot of sense thank you for uh, explaining that so another question then i have in regards to the taper phase is when we look at other things that we should change in our lives besides obviously taking down the long runs and the intensity of the runs what else should change when it comes to like nutrition and maybe some mental preparation that you can recommend mm -hmm. so the taper period the final two weeks before your marathon is really a time where you want to give a lot of intention to setting yourself up to run the best race that you can. You know, all throughout training, it's it's good to to do that stuff, but you know, during the taper phase, you really want to prioritize sleep, good nutrition, and mentally getting ready. So, a lot of people during the taper don't really know what to do with themselves because they're only running half as much. Um, sometimes they, I don't know, worry that they're going to lose fitness or aren't ready or something like that. I think it's really helpful to try to counter those feelings with, with positive feelings. So, you know, during this phase, uh, really start to think about how your race is going to go. I think it's really helpful to make a race plan to start to visualize how the race is going to feel, you know, what you're going to do in each stage of the race. You know, you can kind of start to look at the weather. You don't want to freak out, you know, it can change, but start to visualize, you know, is, do you think it's going to be a cool day? Is it maybe going to be a warm day? What are you going to bring with you? You know, what are you going to wear? How's it going to feel? Um, what are your goals for the race? Like what, What's going to make it a successful race for you? Is it ab about the process? Like, do you want to feel a certain way? Do you want to react if something happens in a certain way? Is that going to make you feel proud? Is it strictly a time-based thing? Like, you you really adamant you want to run this certain time, and if, if you don't, 
you know, that the race won't be successful for you. Like there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it, but what do you want to get out of this race? And then convince yourself that you can do it. Marathon training always takes a little bit of a leap of faith. You never are going to feel like you can run the speed you want to run until actual race day. That's a very normal feeling. So you just need to trust the process and commit to your goals. When I've set some of my biggest race goals, what I've liked to do is actually just the week of the race, write down my goals on paper, look at them every single day. I just keep it on my desk. You know, when I was trying to BQ for the first time, it was like run under three hours in the marathon. And I wrote the pace down and every single day I would look at it and I would just read it. And I would say to myself, like, I will run 256. I will run 640 per mile. I'm ready. I can do this. I've done the training. And I would literally say that every single day. And I think that if you can convince yourself that you're going to do it, then when you show up, running is really simple. It's if you've done the training, you can do what's expected of you. It's just a matter of, you know, when your training's done, you got to get your your head in the right mindset. So the hard work is done during the taper. It's really about relaxing, but the mental work is the most important thing in these final two weeks to to be prepared and do your best. 100% agree. I couldn't uh, stress this anymore myself. The mental part is the hardest part because it's like you said, whatever you tell yourself is what you're going to start believing. So that's that's a good tip. All right. So now, now we move on to the last two phases and mm-hmm. they are actually not the training parts anymore. Now we're talking about um, race day performance. And then mm-hmm. phase number six is going to be the post-race recovery. So before we hop into those last two phases, uh, can you please tell our listeners why you have decided in- to include those into the six phases mm-hmm. of a marathon training? Mm-hmm. So race day performance is a phase that lasts literally one day. If you're training for a marathon, you go through a four to six month period to be in your best fitness for one specific day, one race. That's it. You're never going to be the full fitness you want to be. Like You're never going to be peak fitness until that one specific day. And when you go through training, this is its own unique phase. This is the one day where you're going to feel like you can actually run the marathon at the pace you want to run it. So it is a distinct phase. It's a really short phase, uh, but this is when you're at peak fitness. And if you combine all the training you've done with a a smart approach, you're going to run the race you want. And then the final phase, post-race recovery, I like to include this as the last phase. I think it's essential to take time off after a marathon and not run for a predetermined amount of time. Give yourself a break. Okay, perfect. I like it. So literally that phase, as you mentioned, phase five lasts one day and it starts on the day of your marathon. Uh, in your book, you are mentioning the six P's um, for which is the proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. I love that because it's something that, you know, those acronyms always stuck with me since law school. So maybe let's talk about all of this. Maybe you can unwrap that for us. Yeah. So, you know, Two things that I think are really helpful to set yourself up for success on race day. 
are being prepared, you know, logistically as well as just simply being prepared with with a race strategy. You have to know what you're going to do and you'd be surprised how many people just show up to these things and have absolutely no plan at all. One of the things that I'm a big proponent of is having my athletes do practice races before their marathon. You know, for some folks this is going to seem like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how many people just sign up for a marathon, train for 3 months to 5 months, do no racing and show up and it's like the first time they've ever done a race. You know, knowing how to plan the night before a race, the get there the morning of and logistically show up to the race like comfortably, you know, feeling feeling like it's not a stressful experience. This is something that comes from practice. And I think it's really helpful throughout training to race maybe once a month or every two months. I don't think you want to race more frequently than that because I think it's too much racing, but you want to be very confident with just the process of hacking for a race, you know, planning the logistics of what time to leave your home, what to bring, how to go to bed the night before, what to eat the night before, you know, what time to show up the morning of, how to go through your warm up routine. If you're an expert in all that, if it's second nature and you feel totally comfortable, you're going to feel great at the morning of your marathon. Um, so these are all things you want to kind of practice throughout training to make the most of the fitness that you, that you've earned on the actual race day. Um, you know, some things you just might want to be sure to, to do, you know, read all the important details of the race. Um, read all the emails, uh, make sure you know how to get there beforehand, you know, check the weather. Uh, it can make a huge difference. You know, the, the difference between 40 degrees and 60 degrees is, is pretty big. Um, so know what you're going to be most comfortable in. Um, make sure you know how to like get to the event and where to go. You don't want to just be like showing up and not know where to get your bib or I actually have this recurring dream that I like miss the start of a race. I don't, I don't know if anyone else has this, but like, I'm like in the porta potty or off doing something. And then like, I go to the start line and the race started four minutes beforehand. Like don't have that happen to you. Um, you know, I think it's really helpful to bring like a gear bag with stuff in it that, you know, you're going to, you're going to want, maybe that's a change of shoes. Maybe that's food for before or after the race, water bottle, that sort of stuff. Um, and one thing that I think is really helpful, and, and maybe this is just, the way I think, but it's like have a schedule written down for the morning. So I'll actually write this out on paper. For me, it takes a lot of stress out. Like if I know a race starts at 8 a.m., I'll write out a little schedule backwards from there. So I'll say, like, you know, line up for the race at 750. Um, begin my warm-up at 7 a.m. Pick up my bib at 645. Arrive at the parking at 630. Leave home at 530. And then that means my alarm clock needs to go off at 430. So Writing this out the night before or a few nights before just systematizes it and it makes it so I don't need to think about how to, how this is all going to work um, on the actual race day. Uh, and then, you know, just making sure you have good dinners the first few nights before and getting as best sleep as you can the final nights before um, will make a big difference. I love this. I love these tips. Um, I think they can help all of us 
even if we are seasoned travelers for marathons, one thing I realized that as many places I've flown to every single morning of the race, I realized, oh, I don't, I didn't bring anything, you know, for breakfast or I don't have the same items here as I should. And even if I write it down, I put down snacks and I usually just think about the goose, but I don't think about anything else. So, and I, I really like the timeline too, because that's another thing, you know, wherever you're staying, it depends on on that. Like, how far are you from the actual race start? What kind of race is it? If you're going to the Chicago Marathon, there's a ton of security and all that stuff. And then um, you wrote in your book another thing that obviously always grabs my attention because I love these mental strategies. You wrote down the simple mental strategies for racing, the three Cs, the comfortable, confident, and compete. So maybe you can uh, hop into those a little bit. So you want to have a race strategy for every race that you do. The one that I really teach the most, I think is is most helpful for folks is what I call the three C's. And this is basically any race you do, be it a 5K or a marathon, you break into three parts. And the three parts are the beginning, the middle, and the end. And each one of those is assigned a word that starts with C. So the three C's are comfortable, confident, and compete. What this means is your plan is very simple. The first third of the race, you want to stay very comfortable. The middle third of the race, you want to build your confidence. And then the final third is when you want to be competitive. People often talk about race mantras. This is all you need to think in each stage. You think, stay comfortable, stay comfortable, stay comfortable, be confident, be confident. I can do this. I'm getting ready to be competitive, get to that third stage, then you start to be competitive. The way this looks with a marathon, it's going to be different than it looks for something like a 5K. But for a marathon, since we're talking about that, you know, marathon's a really, really long way. The biggest challenge for most folks in the marathon is getting through the wall, jumping over that point and finishing the race strong. When you look at people's race results on Strava or anything like that, you're either going to see a race go one or two, one of two ways. They're either going to run really good until they hit the wall around mile 16 to 20, and then it's going to be you know slow and terrible after that, or they're going to run pretty steady, you know, to the end. Sometimes people pick up the pace a little bit at the end. That's pretty rare, um, but you know, generally you're either steady. You hit the wall or you're pretty steady until the end. I want you to avoid hitting the wall. So stay as comfortable for as long as possible. The first 10 to 13 miles of the race, maybe the first half marathon of the race, the only thing you need to think is stay comfortable. This is like a transportation stage in the race. You're not even racing yet. You're getting ready to race. You just stay comfortable as long as possible. How long might depend on the exact map of your race. Maybe there's a turnaround point. Maybe there's a big hill or something you want to plan around. But let's just say the first half marathon, it stay as comfortable as possible. Then after that, you switch your mindset to being confident. Once you pass the halfway point, it's probably not going to feel comfortable anymore. But you need to maintain your confidence because, again, the race still hasn't really started yet. The racing really only starts at about mile 20. So if you can move from mile 13 to 20 with a sense of confidence, 
tell yourself, I can do this. You know, I'm past the halfway point. I can sense how far away the finish is now. You know, as each mile gets goes by, you're like, okay, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. I can do this. Set yourself up for success. When you get to mile 20, flip the switch in your mind to start to compete, to start to race. If you do this mentally, if this is the approach you take, you can avoid hitting the wall. You can get to mile 20 and then you just say, okay, all I need to do now is race hard for six miles and I'll be at the finish. This is where the racing happens. This is always the hardest part in the marathon. You know, some people... It amazes me. They're actually able to run faster after mile 20. I don't know, think that's I've ever been able to do that, but it's definitely been the hardest. It's where you really need to dig deep and you know be competitive. The marathon is such a long race. It's hours on end. I think breaking it into chunks like this is a really good approach. And it's what I typically teach. Um, and if, you know, if you do this, I think you'll, you'll have a really successful race. This concept has resonated really well with the people who've read my book and my athletes. Um, and it's still to this day, the approach that I, I personally take with all my races, I think it works really well. No, I love this. I've always been the one looking for mantras and trying to find something that resonates with me. And when I read that, it makes, it makes complete sense. And it, always makes sense. Whereas your mantras will shift because not every race you do it for the same reason, you know, and things in your life change. So that mantra that you had last year might not work for you. I think this is something that I'll definitely take to heart at my next race. So thank you for that. All right. So let's hop into our last phase, which is the post-race recovery. As you mentioned, you include that in your training because it's really important to have um, a downtime for for your marathon cycle. Can you hop into that a little bit and talk about how taking time off um, works with your body and gets you ready for your potential next cycle? Yeah. So if you want to be the best runner you can be, you have to take planned time off. I am a huge believer in that. Um, rest is an integral part of training and getting stronger and, and becoming better from, from race to race. Consistency is super important, but simultaneously, running is a long-term sport that you get gradually better at over the course of maybe a decade. You know, people get better and better from race to race to race when they practice strategies like these six phases of marathon training, and they do it for several years on end. You want to be consistent. You want to run as much as you can. But I also think you don't, you can't run every single day for like without breaks. You can't run every single week of the year. I think it's important to take time off both from a physical and a mental perspective. So, you know, after you've been training for 16 to 20 weeks, four to five months, I think it's essential to take like two weeks off, no running after your marathon. Give yourself a break. Some people are happy to do this. Other people really don't want to. They're just like obsessed with running. I think a lot of runner people are like running is such a big, big good, like helpful thing for them. It's good for their mental health. And I get it. You don't want to take time off, but there's so many reasons why I think it's helpful. You know, physically, you've just gone through a really challenging period. You know, marathon training is kind of extreme. 
We don't always think of it like that, but you're putting your body through a lot. And if you've done it for four or five months, you probably need a break, especially after you just ran 26 miles as hard as possible. There can be a lot of damage that you may not even know about, um, whether you're feeling any kind of injury or not from your training or from your race. You know, there can be things under the surface that you're not aware of. So you want to take a break before you get back into training so that when you start up training again, you're, you're physically ready to go. You don't have any lingering damage from the training or the racing in the previous season uh, staying with you as you start up training again. Um, and also, I think that just from a mental perspective, marathon training is it's really mentally demanding and, and it can be it's, it's time consuming. It takes a lot of focus, takes a lot of mental energy. And, you know, if you're just, if you think of your training as two six month periods per year with a substantial break in between, I think that's a lot more sustainable long term than just like always trying to be racing and doing hard workouts and long runs with, with no break. Um, if you think that taking time off is bad, I think you should change your perception on that and, you know, plan time off into your schedule, into your year. There's a lot of, lot of reasons to do it. Yeah. I like this. Um, it's a good, it's a great tip for our body's recovery and all the things that you mentioned. And I have a tip for that myself. If you, <laughs> if you really want to take time off, um, the best thing of doing that is if you travel somewhere for a marathon, turn it into a vacation, bring mm -hmm. your family. And then that way there's so much pressure on you to not be running that sometimes I can, can work for you as well. So. Yeah. I love it. Um, You know, I, I, I think that using your time off to do fun things that maybe you normally don't prioritize in your life is, is a great way to do it. So, you know, whether that's going on a vacation after a race or for me, I often like to go on long hiking trips or, you know, go on bike rides or, or kayaking. Um, those are activities that I, I don't prioritize when I'm training really hard, but they're things that I love to do. And it's nice to just do other stuff and, you know, not have to worry about when are you going to fit in your run each day and where are you going to do it? And, you know, you can yeah. relax a little bit on your sleep and your eating habits and stuff. And, and trust me, you won't lose any fitness. This is actually going to help make you better in the long term. Um, as long as you kind of get back on a training cycle after your, after your rest period is over. Perfect. Love it. Thank you, Chris, for sharing those six phases with us. And then now for our listeners, let us know how they can find you um, on social media if they want to follow you and your podcast. So my book is called Run Faster Marathons, The Proven Path to PR. It's by me, Chris Knighton, and you can find it on Amazon. It's available in paperback and Kindle format. Um, I also have a podcast, The Knighton Runs podcast and you can find that links to the book and the podcast and info about my coaching and training plans at my website that's nightandruns.com and i'm also on instagram um at night and runs where i mostly just share the successes of my athletes nowadays so check those out perfect and as always we'll link that in our episode descriptions and thank you so much for talking with me today you're welcome letty Thank you.
Thank you, Chris, for spending time with us. And hopefully the listeners found some of this information valuable and will go out and pursue more. Like Letty had said, she's going to link in the description all the places you need to go if you want to learn more or get in touch with him. Exactly. Also, well, we try to do stories on Instagram and little videos that will also entice you to listen to the podcast. So if you're not following us on social media yet, we are at Running Podcast and hopefully we can connect there. Also, let us know about how you're doing with your runs and if you're improving, if you're not improving, if you're just enjoying it. We'd love to hear that stuff. Yes, definitely also let us know what fall marathon you're training for, because if you're running Chicago or any of those, maybe our paths will cross. That would be awesome. We also have our group on Facebook called Speed Striders that we invite you to join. It's just a bunch of runners, probably a group of no more than 800 people, where we just post our runs and encourage each other. It's all love. Positivity is good. Absolutely. So let's end this podcast on a positive note. Have a good week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.